I would like you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 to 3. I'm reading from the New English Standard. It's very similar to most of your Bibles. If you have the ESV, or I mean the NASB, or New King James. Why don't you stand with me as we read the Word of God in respect to the Lord's Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And here's a key statement. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Our Lord, our Father, we thank you for these inspired words of Scripture. May we learn new things this evening and may we be challenged to run that race and run it to the end and run strong, looking to Jesus, the one who for the joy set before him even endured the cross so that we will not grow weary or faint-hearted and give up. We ask these things in the name of our Lord. Amen. Uh, you have an outline. Does everyone have an outline? If you don't have an outline, well, maybe you'll get a good sleep. But the outline will help you, and you don't have to do a lot of note-taking. You get so much more if you just listen. I've entitled this message, Running the Race of Faith. Now, in chapter 11, which you all know very, very well, we have the heroes of the faith. At this point, the writer of Hebrews turns to the greatest hero of faith, the one who endured even the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that therefore is therefore uh, very important. It connects chapter 11 and 12. So it brings over the whole idea of faith, and endurance. Faith works. We are to endure by faith. So let's look first of all at runners of the past. Runners of the past. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud, cloud of witnesses. So, chapter 11, we see this great uh, throng, the hall of faith set before us. All these great Old Testament characters. And we are to learn. This is, these, are, these people are to be examples to the Christian church today of faith and of endurance. Now, here's something very interesting. God teaches us through biography. Do you ever think of that? 66 chapters of the life of David. You think of how the Bible starts. The life of Abraham. Uh, the life of uh, Isaac and Jacob. And think of all the chapters on Joseph. And then, the life of Moses really goes on for four more books. God teaches us through the lives of people. And so we have this great testimony of people that surround us all through the Old Testament. But don't forget, for the last 2,000 years, God has raised up many heroes of the faith. And that's why biographies are so important. When I was only 14 years of age, I had been saved at a Bible camp in New York State. I did not come from a Christian family, 
But from 14 years of age till I was 20, I spent every single summer at Pine Bush Bible Camp. It saved my life and my brother's life because our parents were gone constantly. I don't know what would have happened to us on the streets uh, having all this time in our hand. But we were at camp and we had to work hard. But we had a wonderful camp director. And one of the things we had to do as young people is every summer we had to read a biography. The first summer, I don't remember, I was 14 or 15, I had to read the biography, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. My dear friends, I was never the same. You know, young people need vision. they got so much energy, way too much energy. You ever notice, do you ever see anyone in their 80s or 90s running around at the back of the auditorium? Have you ever seen that or running up here or escaping behind the curtains? I've never seen that. Older people sit down all the time. But children, they're running all the time and they're moving all the time. Well, God made them that way. They have a lot to learn in life and they need that energy. Young people need vision. So I'm 14, 15 years of age. And right at that age, it was set before me, the life of Hudson Taylor. And you know, you can never be the same when you see the dedication and the love for God and the love for the lost and, and how he lived and the sacrifices. It just challenges you. And I've had a great interest in missions ever since I was just a teenager. So, my dear friends, God uses biography to teach us. And so what we have to learn is this. Many have run the race before us. We're not alone in this race of faith and endurance. Look to them. Study their lives. How did they endure? How did they act? How did they pray? How did they obey? How did they stand persecution? So we're not alone in this race. Runners of the past. That's why we encourage everyone to read the Bible. Read the Bible. So much of it is. Think of the New Testament. Four Gospels on the life of Christ. Much of the New Testament. uh, Nearly 60 or 70% on the life of the Apostle Paul. Think of the book of Acts. The life of Peter. The life of Paul. God teaches us through the lives of other people. By the way, he does the exact same thing today. He teaches you, he teaches me through the lives of saints who are right here, alive and breathing right now as we watch their life. So remember, you are an example to others. Be that example. Mom, Dad, you're an example to your children and they'll never forget that example all their life. I was saying last night to the group that gathered together, I had four daughters, I still have four daughters, but when they were children, if you were to ask my daughters now, they're young adults, And you were to say to them, what was your father's best sermon? (laughs) You know, I don't think they could name one sermon. I really don't. But if you ask them, what was life like with your father and your mother? Well, they could wax on for hours, hopefully. You are an example. Look at that great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us and lived the life of faith and endured right to the end. Now, this brings us to runners of the present. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. Notice the race that is set before us. So, the biblical writers love the metaphor of the race, the athlete. We are spiritual athletes, spiritual marathon runners. And he's thinking here not of running around a track, but he's thinking of a marathon commitment to Christ. But now look at the last phrase here. Look carefully. The race that is set before us. Did you see that? The race that is set before us. Now, when did this race begin? Not the day you were born, 
but the day you were born again. The moment you received Christ and the Holy Spirit came into your life, you began the race. Notice the race is set before you. You know, the race is different for each one of us. The ending point is different. For some people, the race can be quite difficult. Some seem to get by quite easily. But it's been set before us. And so all of us are runners. Well, you say, I'm 65 years old. I'm ready to retire. You're a runner. You say, but I'm 75. You're a runner. By the way, I just read recently, what is old age? They surveyed thousands of people. Do you want to know what old age is? 75. That's good news unless you're 74. So... You're 75 years of age. You're now marked as an old person. You're a runner. But you say, I'm 80 years old. I take Geritol Sr. You're a runner. You say, but I'm in a hospital bed. You're a runner. You say, I'm in a wheelchair. You're a runner. You are in a race. And that race is to endure right to the end. And you are to run strong to the end. This is the Lord's will for your life. Now next, look at A in your outline. How to run? Well, the rest of the passage is how we run this marathon race for Christ. He set the track in front of us and he commands us to run and to race. Notice it's a race, not a crawl. The first thing we have here, A in your outline, is run unencumbered. He says here in the passage, he says, laying aside every weight... Now, first of all, we have to decide what a weight is. A weight is something that's impeding the race. It's holding us up. It's not particularly a sin, but it's something that's hindering us. Now, we have the Olympics going on, but the winter, winter Olympics, but when the Summer Olympics come, uh, the big race will be, one of the biggest races is the marathon. Now, when you're running a marathon, I've never run a marathon. Sounds too uh, grueling to me. When you're running a marathon, you don't run with pretty shoes like this. These are nice. These are Echoes, by the way, and they're very comfortable. They don't match my pants, but I don't care. They're comfortable. <laughs> and you'll notice I have this very nice tie, and if you come up close, this is a shepherd's. It's my shepherd's tie. I wear this when I preach. I feel like a shepherd. Come up and see it later. I have never seen a tie with sheep, so I wear this to church. And everyone knows I love sheep. And I actually do love sheep. And it's a very nice tie with a nice, you know, button-down collar. Look pretty good, don't I? But you don't run this way when, you're, you, uh, when you have all these clothes on you. When you run the marathon, you strip down to the lightest sneakers you can find, the lightest clothes. Did you know that in the Tour de France, in the bicycle race, even one pound of weight extra will cause you to lose that race after seven days? So, what the writer is saying is run unencumbered. Don't get weighed down in things. So, can I talk to the young people just a moment? Okay. If you're over 75, you can rest right now. Young people often ask this question. I'm sure you've heard it. It's the do's and the don'ts. And young people ask, can I drink alcohol? Can I go to R-rated movies? Can I go to Las Vegas if I only spend 25 cents? What kind of clothes should I dress in? What kind of friends should I have? What kind of music can I listen to? What kind of entertainment? What kind of sports? And they have all these questions of do's and don'ts. And of course, we like to answer for them exactly what they're to do and not to do. But they get to an age in life where they're going to make their own choices. 
So here is a good way to answer the questions of do's and don'ts. Should I do this? Should I not do that? Many of these things are perfectly uh, legal before the Lord. The Lord gives us tremendous freedom under grace, tremendous freedom. But he says, don't use it for the flesh. Don't use it for the flesh. One of the ways to answer the question about movies and TV and uh, should I drink this kind of beverage or these kinds of friends is this. Is it a weight in your Christian race? It could be a very long race before you. Is it something that's impeding the race, slowing you down, maybe causing you to get to a crawl or a slow walk? You can, Only you can answer that. Even your parents can answer that for you. You must decide. And parents, you face the same thing. Older people have many weights. They get bogged down. They get distracted. Sociologists tell us we're in the age of distractions. Never in human history have there been so many distractions. We have television. We have so many good TV shows. I haven't seen it yet. And they have movies. And we have the internet. I met a man one time. He's an elder in a church. church was doing terribly. And he says to me, well, Alex, I spent a lot of hours puttering on the computer. I thought the church is in trouble. No wonder the church is in trouble. Hours puttering on the computer. You putter on the computer, you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. And so, his advice, the writer of Hebrews says this. The advice is, strip it off. Get rid of that weight. It's holding you back. And it may hold you back for a lifetime. Whatever it is. And it can be something as legitimate as sports or your computer or some entertainment or some friendship or something that's just not allowing you to run with faith and endurance. Now, the second thing he says is lay aside every sin, uh, sin which clings so closely. Now, sin clearly is wrong. This is not a questionable matter or a matter of liberty or freedom in the Lord. But notice what he says about sin. Sin which clings so closely. The idea is of it wrapping around you. And well, if you're in a race and something's wrapping itself around you, it's not long before you can't run anymore. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on one of the Asian airline uh, airlines, but uh, you'll see that many of the ladies that are flight attendants they wear these Asian dresses and they're real tight, long, they go all the way down to the ground and they're real tight. You've got to walk like this. Well, you can't run with that kind of skirt. Do you know that's what sin does? There's nothing that hinders the race like sin because it wraps itself around you. In Denver, in fact, I just saw this the other day. We uh, went to one of these uh, airboat rides have you ever been on one of those? You go and try to see alligators or jump on their back or something like that. But anyway, um, there at the airboat ride, they have an alligator show and they have a snake show. And the man had a snake about that thick. I don't know how long he was. Maybe maybe 12 feet long, that, that thick. And there was a, a man from, from the was holding a snake and from the back, the snake handler put this big, giant a uh, uh, bull constrictor over the man's neck. It's actually very dangerous. I don't know why the insurance company allows that. But he put this huge snake over the man's neck and on his shoulders. Now, in Denver, I read a story of a man who used a 20-foot 
a bowl constrictor that he would take around to parties and get everyone in the party to put their arms out and hold the bowl constrictor and put the bowl constrictor around the neck, put him around your waist and get pictures. The paper said one evening he was doing his regular show that he does all the time and in one second the bull constrictor snapped his neck and killed him instantly. You know, that's what sin is like. It lets you get away with things. Hey, it's no problem. No one knows, you know, what, what you're doing in the privacy of your own home. Don't worry about it. And sin lets you get away with things as it slowly wraps itself, it encompasses you until it's now a habit in your life and you've excused your sin and all of a sudden you can't really run. You cannot run. That's the idea. It clings to you. It surrounds you. It encompasses you. It it takes you over. So if you don't deal with sin, you will not finish the race or you will not finish very well. That is for sure. So this is great advice. And let me remind you, that this is a very serious race. Against you is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And whole demonic hosts are against you, trying to block the way. They do not want you to finish the race well. Sin, Eric Sauer says, wishes cunningly to encompass and to lay seize of us. It attacks us from every side. That's what sin wants to do. Mar the race. And that's why when you see sin in your life and you identify sin, there's only one thing to do. Confess it immediately. But what do we normally do? And I do this. We don't want to come to the Lord. We're embarrassed. We've done this sin. We've done it again. And we don't want to come to the Lord. And we say, maybe tomorrow I'll confess it. Or maybe later. Just sort of go away somehow. No, that's the wrong thing to do. When you catch sin in your life, and particularly that besetting thing, the particular one that you do over and over again, there's only one way to do. Pl- claim the blood of Christ and get up and get going again. Don't let it defeat you. Don't let sin wrap itself around you and defeat you and get you sidetracked. Confess it, get up and get going. And if it becomes a big problem, go and talk to someone. Have someone that holds you accountable and pray with that person and, until you know that that sin is not ruined your race for Christ. Now, the next thing he talks about is run with endurance. Run with endurance. Now, endurance is one of the great themes of the book of Hebrews because that was the problem. There were Christians who were not pressing forward. going. In fact, they were going backward and they were not meeting with the believers. Some of them were not growing because he even says to them in the in the fifth chapter, I have to talk to you like babies. By now you should have been teachers and I still have to give you baby milk. They were not growing. Some were going back. And so the great idea here is that we are to endure, like the Lord Jesus, right to the end, no matter what faces us in this marathon race. Now I want to remind you again, this is a marathon. It's a cross-country race. It's an over-the-land marathon. And it's an obstacle course. Now, if you've seen a real um, uh, over-the-land cross-country race, two of my daughters raced in cross-country races, they're really interesting because you run up hills, you run down hills. You, you jump over little creeks, you jump over rocks. Uh, there's these obstacles all along the way. Well, that's what life is like. Life isn't one smooth path. It's not like running around the track again and again till you die of boredom. There are things in the way. There are obstacles. There's difficulties. There's incline, declines. 
And that's what life is like. He's, he's telling you that. For some people, it's very, life is very difficult. Many, many problems. Some people do seem to sail through. But others face many, many obstacles. But here is the blessed thing. Those who endure, those who go strong right to the end. There's probably nothing that encourages me in my own life than to see people press on in the Christian life for many, many years, into their 80s, into their 90s. We had a man in our church, 102 years of age. At 99, he came to the elders and said, you know, I've been teaching the seniors class for years. You need a younger man, maybe someone in their 90s, early 90s. 102 years old, he still had his mind, but whenever I was with Mr. Ed Risto, he'd want to be talking about the newest commentaries or about some sermons he's heard. 102, and he's, he's pressing forward. The man who started our church, Mr. Herb Banks, I told you about him last night. He was dying of cancer, about 86 years of age, and one of the elders came in to pray with him. He's just uh, maybe a week away from death. And here he is sitting in bed with his legs up, and he's holding a book, reading a book. And so the elder asked him, he said, now, what are you reading, Herb? And Herb says, I'm reading a book on missions. He's about ready to die, and he's reading a book on missions. Right to the end, he kept pressing forward. And whenever I would visit him, he'd say, Alex, now, let's, uh, brother, so-and-so, we need to get to him. I don't think he's coming. I haven't heard from him. He doesn't answer my phone calls. Here he is, facing death, and he's running the race. He's running the race. E. Stanley Jones was a missionary 50 years in India. And he was writing his biography at the end of his life. He was in his 80s, and he writes this. Listen to this. The song I sing is a lit song, not the temporary exuberance of youth that often fades when middle or old age sets in with their disillusionments and cynicism. No, I'm 83, and I'm more excited today about being a Christian than when I was 18 and when I first put my feet on the way. Did you hear that? I'm 83 years of age, and I'm more excited about the Christian faith, my walk with Christ, than when I was 18. Now, normally, it's the opposite. People are 18, going on for the Lord, can't hear them after 40. Something about the year 40, people just start dying off. They don't read anymore, they don't study anymore, they don't press themselves, they're not growing, they're not maturing, they're not getting more Christ-like. They just sort of flatten out. And I've seen that many, many times about that age. In fact, studies have shown that is true. But that is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. At 40, you should be going really hard. 80, go really hard to the end. Even if you're in a wheelchair. Even if you're in the hospital bed and you're dying of cancer, you'll be praying for others. You'll be calling people on the phone. You can be reading. You can be a light for the Lord. You can be encouraging people. Nothing encourages me more than seeing people run this race into their 70s and their 80s and their 90s and not excusing themselves with, I'm tired, I'm old. Well, then life is different then. You don't do the same things. Seasons of life. At that age, maybe you pray more. You call people on the phone. You get visit people at a hospital or have someone come over for tea or coffee, whatever you drink. Many things to do for Christ. Never should we run out of things for the Lord. Why do you think so many people in the world turn to alcohol and they turn to television? Literally, I've seen people, my neighbors uh, in their 70s, and they just spend super hours in front of the TV and, and drinking way too much. 
just sort of filling in the, the few years they have left in life instead of making them fruitful years. If you've retired from work, what a wonderful thing. You don't have to get up and go to the same job every day and do the same thing. Now you can get up and be with the Lord the first thing in the morning. You can have more time for prayer which before you didn't. And you can have more time for listening to the word of God preached on, on your CDs or on uh, whatever instrument you're using, your computer. You, you've got time with God now. You have time for other people that you didn't have before. It's tremendous, tremendous and our churches need seniors. They need them desperately for the much work that we have. So much to do. And people go, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Well, if you don't know what to do, come see me after. I'll give you a few things that you can be doing. So much to do for Christ. And so fulfilling, so rewarding. What a waste to sit in front of a, a, a TV your remaining years of life. And I've seen it. I've witnessed it with my own eyes. Wasted life. Irretrievable loss at the judgment seat of Christ. No, we're to run that marathon and we're to run end. Run to the end. Now see, run with aim. Now he's going to give you some more advice here. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Some translations say fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's the key to success. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Always have an aim. Always know where the goal is in this race. So my, I have four daughters. My youngest daughter, little tiny thing, and you wouldn't think she could win a, win a, win a race because she's so skinny. And yet she'd win every race. Just run really fast. And so one day we went to see one of her races and I'm standing on the sideline and the gun goes off. Boom! And she was running right out in front. She's looking back and then all of a sudden the girls went right past her. She lost the race. So after the race was done, she said, Dad, why did I lose the race? I said, honey, you look back. And the moment you looked back at the other girls, you slowed down and they went right past you. You don't look backwards going forward. Keep your eye on the goal and run to that goal. And I would advise that those of you who are driving on, on Highway 75, do not do that through the rearview mirror. Don't do it. If you do do it, let me know so I can get out of your way. The Lord gives us only one direction to look, and that's forward. And we go forward in the Christian life. No matter how many times you have stumbled, claim the blood of Christ, get up and get running in that race. Don't let the devil trick you that you can't finish the race. You're not worthy. The German theologian Eric Sauer, in his book, uh, The Arena of Faith, writes this. If you wish to be disappointed... Look upon others. If you wish to be downhearted, look at yourself. But if you wish to be encouraged and to experience victory, look upon Jesus Christ. And then he says this. All depends on how one looks at life. To who will the, he who would live aright must see aright. In the arena of faith, look to Jesus. Now, I left my Bible. I want you to open to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. I want to look at looking aright. Looking aright. Looking to Jesus. 
These verses I'm going to read to you are verses that give us the right perspective on the race, on the obstacles, the problems, the setbacks, the failures. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, if there is anyone who had a reason to lose heart, it was Paul. He had more problems than all of us in this auditorium put together. How many of you have been shipwrecked at sea? How many of you have been beaten up or rocks thrown at you or in prison? Most of us, the only thing we've suffered for Christ is maybe miss a meal or something. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? Though the outward, though outwardly we are wasting away. Now, if you're over 50, you understand this. You're in a 50, you don't understand this. When you're over 50, you understand the body is deteriorating. You know, you have to have Geritol Jr., Geritol Sr., you have a, a hip replacements, knee replacements, you have to wear glasses, you have to study hearing aids, maybe you get a wig or something like that. You get new aches and pains each week, and when you're with your friends, all you talk about is all your new aches and pains. The outward man is wasting away. Now, I hope you'll fight against that by eating good and jogging and everything else, but basically it will win. The outward physical body is going to deteriorate. Now, this is my philosophy of aging, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a secret. Now, I don't often tell people this secret, but I'm telling this group my secret. All right, here it is. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, the new man in Christ, the man of the Spirit, we are being renewed every year. What? Oh, I, I made a mistake. Some people think every decade. This is my philosophy of aging. Every day, I'm being renewed spiritually, day by day. You know, the Christian life is an exciting life. The Lord gives us wonderful works to do. Fruit that we are to bear to God, which brings the Father great, great delight. And we are to constantly be growing into Christ-likeness. That's what sanctification is in the Christian life. Growing into Christ-like character. Or you might call it the fruits of the Spirit. Same thing. Some have said the fruits of the Spirit is the shortest biography of the life of Christ. So we are to be love, joy, peace. These are the characteristics, the attitudes, the disposition that comes out of our life as we grow. We're not to become more cantankerous as we get older, more irritable as we get older, more nasty to be with. We are to be more Christ-like as we get older. And what a beautiful thing to see a man and woman in their 70s and 80s and 90s being very Christ-like, being sweet and joyous and patient, disciplined. All right, now, like I said, I don't share this with everyone. You know now the secret to aging. Now, let's get the perspective. For our light, look, look at each word, momentary troubles or afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Now, look up here a second. So we got a scale. I'm a scale. Over here are the light, light, momentary afflictions. This side of the scale. On this side of the scale are the eternal weight of glory that is not comparable. It's not comparable. How do you compare a momentary affliction? Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a ruined marriage. Maybe it's a deep problem with a child. 
something to your health. How do you compare a momentary affliction with an eternal weight of glory? Which is, of course, the Lord's glory shared with us. It's not comparable. That's right, seeing. It's all how you get a perspective on life. And then, notice the next words. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's the same thing we have here. Right seeing. Right seeing. When you have your troubles, remember to look on the Lord Jesus Christ and how he endured even the cross. So now he tells us something about the Lord Jesus. He tells us he's the founder, originator, forerunner, champion, initiator of the race of faith. No one exhibited faith like the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he had faith even before he became man. He lived in a faith relationship with his father. Complete and total trust in his father. And John 17 says they lived in eternal. Before the universe was created, there was a love relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then he is the perfecter of faith. His faith is the most perfect example of faith. Never has anyone exercised faith as Jesus did as he faced Golgotha. Faith was brought to absolute perfection. Jesus' life of faith is our example. So he's the one who sets the course for faith. He ran the course of faith. But my friends, he faced something we'll never face. Notice what it says here. He endured the cross, the most humiliating death possible. Crucifixion. How did he face it? Well, in that garden, in prayer, by faith, he obeyed the Father and he went forward. But I want you to notice something here that's really, in a sense, the secret to the whole thing. And it comes back to perspective. For the joy that was set before him. He runs the life of faith. He endures even the cross. How? For the joy that was set before him. What is, what is he talking about? Well, he looked past Calvary. He looked past the judgment, the abandonment, the darkness. He looks past it to many sons and daughters brought to glory. You and me. He saw the defeat of Satan and his demonic host. He saw the glorification of his father. He looked beyond the immediate death to what this death would produce. The joy that was set before him. And so the Lord Jesus kept his eye on that joy of all the accomplishments of the cross. And he endured it. In fact, not only did he endure it. Notice what he says. He despised the shame. He treated it as insignificant or of little consequences. They despised and scorned him, but he turned it all around and despised the scorn and shame. Thus, he is seated at the right hand of God above all angels and all principalities and powers and all in the, in the created world. He's above all. He walked by faith. He endured the cross and he did it. By right perspective. Keeping his eye. Now, we're to do the same thing. Keep our eye on the goal. Keep our eye on Christ. If it's Philippians chapter 3, it's, it's the consummation of our faith. And all that that will mean, living with the Lord forever. Then, we have finally the supreme example of Christ himself in verse 3.
Someone read verse 3. I put my notes someplace. Read verse 3 to me. Anybody. You have a beautiful voice, brother. You read that. Yeah. For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Okay. Now, that word, did your translation say consider? Yes. Is there any, do you have a translation? All right. The word consider means to carefully calculate. It's not a quick glance. It's not a quick glance. In other words, think deeply about this. Consider Christ in what he endured. The purpose of this is so we don't grow weary and faint-hearted. Exactly what happened to these believers. And it can happen to any one of us. Maybe not in your teen years or your 20s or 30s, but as life goes on, it just wears you down somehow. And there's so many problems in life. He says here, carefully calculate the Lord Jesus. Consider how much they hated him and despised him. Now, the question is, how do we carefully calculate him? Let me give you a couple ways we do this. What time do I end? Am I done? Oh, A15. Thank you. This is the age of grace. Remember that. (laughs) Not law. The main thing is to be done before 10, right? Okay, I'll be done before 10. All right. Let's carefully calculate. How do we do it? Or how do we keep our eyes on Jesus? This don't make it just a theoretical thing. One way is Scripture. Scripture. Scripture is God's book. Four Gospels about the life of Christ. We know from Luke 24, the whole of Scripture is about Christ, right? The things concerning himself, he says. Think of that. Jesus Christ said all of the Scripture, Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, all about him. Can you imagine if I said that to you now? You're all a nice group of people. Seem real relaxed. And I say to you, now, Luke, uh, the Scripture is all about me. You remember Moses, he wrote, he was writing about me, the Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation. They all wrote about me. What do you think about that? He's shaking his head. In other words, now I want to show you how nice he is. What he's saying is, we'll call his wife right now, we'll get him some good medication, and we'll get him home as soon as possible. It's not even funny, it's so ridiculous. All of Scripture is about me. But why, why do we not shake our head when our Lord says, Moses wrote about me, the Psalms wrote about me, the prophets, all the tabernacles and the feasts, it was all about me. In other words, the whole book's Christocentric. We don't laugh. David, do you laugh? No, we don't laugh. We say amen. It's true. That's why he could say it. When you come to Scripture, you're looking at Christ. You're gazing at Christ. Whether it's the four Gospels or whether it's something from the Psalms or, or the prophets... It all points to the great Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't read our Bibles, we don't look to Jesus. Here's the real problem. If we don't open the scriptures and look in scriptures, it's because we're listening to the world. And they got us. How many hours a day are we listening to the voices of this world compared to the hours we listen to the voice of God in his word? The monarch of books, the Bible. It's not, most of them it's not comparable. Second, the Lord's Supper. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, we're looking to Jesus. We're, we're remembering the Golgotha. We remember the cross. We remember the substitutionary penal death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Every time we take the Lord's Supper, don't just sit there and stick bread in your mouth and drink a little juice. Think, carefully calculate the price. The reason the Lord gave us the elements of the bread and the cup is because we forget. We would forget him. I guarantee you that. That's what we're all like. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're carefully calculating. And remember that when you take the bread and the cup. It's a moment of calculation, of consideration, of pondering, ruminating, studying, observing Christ in his chief work upon the cross. And then in song, I don't think we realize how important song is, Christian music. There's something about music that works on a whole different level than just the brain. It works on the whole emotional uh, level of our life. And if you find yourself cold in coming to Scripture or prayer, here's a good thing. I've done it many times. Sing. If you can't, I mean, if you can sing, open up your hymn book and sing a couple songs and it'll warm your heart for prayer. If you can't sing and you have a really lousy voice and people run when you sing, then get a CD and play some good Christian music. And when you play that, I guarantee you, it'll warm your heart, it'll prepare you for the reading of Scripture and for prayer. When we sing in our local churches, sing. Don't just sit there and mealy mouth the words. Really sing them because that's how we carefully calculate the Lord Jesus. And we come to him on a little bit different level. And then through our prayers, prayers, direct communion, communication directly. And, and think of this. God the Father said, listen, I've opened the whole way for you. Unlike anything Israel ever had, you can come anytime, day or night. I'm ready. Your son and daughter just come and ask. If we only took advantage of that, as we should. In fact, here's the neat thing. You can pray about anything. It does not matter. You can pray about There's nothing too small. All the great prayer warriors know that. There's nothing too small. And there's a sense in which pray without ceasing. We do it as we just sort of commune with the Lord in our mind throughout the day. You're driving your car. Maybe you're playing with the kids on the floor. You're just talking to the Lord, thanking the Lord for the children, the nice warm house you have. Because the Christian life is a life of constant thanksgiving, right? You ever see, ever been out with people in the world? All they do is complain all the time. They complain about the weather. They complain about their car. I don't even know where they come up with all these complaints. But the Christian is exactly the opposite. He's constantly giving thanks for all things at all times and every opportunity. And that's we do it through prayer. And then I want to give you another idea, something a little different. Spiritual conversation. Have you ever thought about this? Now, we get together with one another, and of course, we talk about the football teams, and we talk about the weather, of course, and we talk about our aches and our pains, and we talk about our children and all that. Fine, do that. That's normal life. But then, turn that conversation around about the things of God. Much is accomplished through personal conversation. Abraham Lincoln was probably a great, uh, exceptionally great speechwriter. Didn't even recognize it in his own day, now that his speeches have been studied man was un, un, uneducated, but a great speechwriter. But he said this, I accomplish more through personal conversation than I do with my great speeches. In other words, when you're with people, you can talk about real things, important things, life things, uh, the things we're really concerned about. Spiritual conversation when you're with people. I have been, in the last number of years, to too many weddings, too many birthday parties, that nothing is said of the Lord. I was to a birthday party in the last year or two here of a man who's the head of a great Christian organization. You would all know it the moment I tell you. And at his party, which was run by his children, except for praying for the, for the food, the entire evening was folly. 
entire evening was foolishness. Not a, not, a, not a good thing was talked about. And here he is, this man of this Christian organization. What it, what, to me, it was a, the whole thing was a disgrace. When Christians get together, eventually it's got to come back to the Lord. And during that time of spiritual conversation, things happen. Important things happen. We get down to brass tacks, and sometimes we get to the heart of things, if we're serious. And then hearing the word preached. Every time we hear the word preached, just like now, you're considering Jesus. You're, you're fixing your eyes on him. You're carefully calculating. You are getting right perspective on the race that is set before us. So, my dear friends, i am uh, only got four minutes, and uh, even in the dispensation of grace, people like you in the evening to finish on time, and I will do that. Let me read to you Paul's final words, 2 Timothy, the last extent New Testament book. I have fought the good fight. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone in this audience, as we come to the end of life, said, I have fought the good fight. And it is a fight. It's a war with demonic hosts. So it's a war against this world that hates our Christ. Our secular society is doing everything. There's a secular tsunami. It's just run right over the church, just like that. It's taken many away with it. We are in a fight. Ephesians chapter 6 makes it very clear the kind of fight we're in. It's not with uh, guns and tanks and drones. It's, it's with principalities and powers and forces, cosmic forces and present darkness. I have fought the good fight. May all of you be able to say this. Not I ran from the fight. I didn't want the fight. I lost the fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He is at the end of his life. He will be martyred. Very soon, he will be martyred. I have finished the race. But now here's what's important. I have kept the faith. That's the point of our whole passage. Faith endures. Faith is the is the power in which we walk forward and run this race. Believing God. Believing His promises. Doing what He tells us because we believe Him. I have kept the faith. May that be true of every one of you. Because you will face death. If the Lord does not come, you will all face death. You all have a a cemetery plot waiting for you and and a funeral service waiting for you. What a wonderful thing to say. I kept the faith. And I ran to the end. I ran strong. I didn't allow those weights to come into my life and bog me down. I got rid of those weights. I stripped them off and got rid of them. One of the elders in our church told me one day, he said, Alex, I had to throw my TV out because I couldn't conquer it. I could not conquer it. I I was stuck. I was way, I I just unwind and I just, uh, after I was done, it was two hours of TV and I could have been doing so many things that I should be doing. That's the only way he could deal with that weight. There's other weights we might have. Maybe it's alcohol. Uh, Maybe it is movies. Uh, Maybe it is sports. I don't know what it is. Only you know between you and the Lord. Strip those weights off because they're going to impede the race. And you won't be able to say, Uh, I have kept the faith. I I have endured. So whatever age you are, however young you are, however old you are, you are to run the race with endurance to the end. Let us pray. I'm going to give you a minute 
to talk to the Lord about the race. It's a race set before you. The Lord set it before you. And the Lord called you to run that race. I want you to pray now. This is a private thing between you and the Lord about any weight or a sin that clings and stops you from running. So you, you talk to the Lord about that. If you need to repent, you repent. And uh, the Lord is gracious and he forgives. And he says, get up and get going again. Run the race. Our Lord, our Father, we think of the race that has been set before us. You set it before us. Each of us, the obstacle course is different. We don't know what we face ahead. We don't know the hills and the valleys or or the streams or the rocks we have to jump over. We don't know. But we go by faith. We believe you. We trust your word. We do what you tell us to do. It's the only way to live. We're like the Lord Jesus who faced uh, face the cross and, and, and all of his horror and his death, curse that he bore for us. He knew this. And yet, for the joy set before him, he endured it and he went forward. May we keep our eyes on the, on, on, on the Lord Jesus. and May we keep it on heaven and, and on the unseen and on that which is eternal weight of glory. May we keep our eyes on that. Not get our eyes distracted by the light, momentary afflictions. Help us to these ends to run the race strong and and not excuse ourselves. We're so good at excusing ourselves in the race. But may we run as people of faith, spiritual athletes, pressing forward, being disciplined, making the effort, drawing upon your grace and your power. Drawing on one another. We don't even run the race alone. We run it with other brothers and sisters. May we, as the Apostle Paul say, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What a glorious, victorious conclusion to this life. And certainly he had many obstacles that we we cannot even dream of. We will never have to face. To these ends, we ask your help. In the name of our Lord, amen.